Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day to you uh, mothers out there. We are going to continue our study in the uh, theologies of Scripture, the, the theology of Scripture, the doctrines of Scripture, that is. And uh, we want to continue today with the doctrine of man. <clears throat> so let me begin with a word of prayer and uh, <clears throat> ask God's help as we get into our study today. Father, we are uh, so grateful that You have revealed Yourself to us. There are a lot of, lot of ideas out there as to who we are as individual humans. And, uh, and there are a lot of confusing and conflicting reports as to what the answer to that question is, who is man. But we're thankful that You have revealed in Your Word who we are. And we are uh, sinners in, and we stand before a holy God and deserve Your full wrath. And yet You have uh, given us Your Son, Jesus Christ, to take our place. And so we're thankful for uh, Your condescension to us. And we ask for Your help as we uh, study this doctrine. Help us to understand ourselves more clearly as we understand You and Your Word more clearly. And uh, we pray that the result of it would be uh, more praise to You and fuller submission to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've taken about uh, four weeks to go through the doctrine of God, uh, theology proper, and uh, we're actually going to take just basically one week to talk about the doctrine of man. Um, really wanted to start out with who God is because we can't know who we are unless we know who God is first. And... Uh, and connected with this doctrine, the doctrine of man, is also the doctrine of sin. And so we'll, we'll touch a little bit on that this week uh, because we can't really know ourselves apart from sin fully. I mean, we recognize that sin came into the human race very quickly. And um, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that next week primarily. But, but this week we want to look at the doctrine of, of man. Let me just show you from our um, statement of faith here what our church had to say about it when it was first formed. And I'll just read what you have there on your handout, and then we'll, we'll get into our study. This is from Article 5, The Doctrine of Man, um, from our Statement of Faith. Man was created in holiness and innocence in the image of God under the law of his Maker, but by voluntary transgression fell from that holy and blessed state in consequence of which all mankind are now sinners. Man is not a sinner by constraint, but by choice. Man is therefore by nature utterly void of that holiness required by the law of God, positively inclined to evil, and therefore under just condemnation to eternal ruin. Man is therefore without defense or excuse. Now we're going to touch on several of these um, these topics that are, are brought up here in our statement of faith. And I think it's a good statement that we still hold to today at, at this church. Um, you've probably heard the term anthropology, and that's really what we're talking about today, the study of mankind. You could take a, a course at a university or something that, that is about anthropology, and you're going to get very different um, views as to what they believe the doctrine of man is. And um, so that's where we're going to have our focus this week. There are many different ideas as to what man is. Some people say that man is only a body. That is what you can see. 
the material portion. That is what man is. And when I say man, I'm talking about mankind or a human in general. Um, others say that, that, he is, that his body is only an idea. So really, it's all immaterial. Um, and then uh, others say that we can't really know the difference between the material and the, and the immaterial. That, that there's not really a correlation between the two. They're completely separate. And uh, so we want to see from the Scriptures today what, what, the, what the Bible has to say about man and its makeup, its, its uh, components. Uh, God, again, has revealed Himself to us in His Word, and um, He's revealed Himself, Himself to us, but He's also revealed to us uh, things about us as humans. And so we want to answer the question, what does this holy God say about who I am? And, uh, and this really gets to the heart of the question. And the answer to that question is that, that we are sinners. Um, there it is. We are sinners who have offended the God who has, reflected, who has created us to reflect His image. Okay? We're going to get through. Uh, we're going to talk about the image of God in man as we talked about a little bit last week. And uh, we'll see that God made us to reflect His image, and yet because of our sin, we have failed to do that. We've actually marred that image. And so the process of sanctification, of growth and godliness, is where God takes a sinner after salvation, obviously. He, he moves them to a place where He's more like the image of Jesus Christ, moving us back to that place where we're, we are imaging or reflecting God. All right. So, um, so the question we want to answer today is, who am I? In order to understand and answer that question, really, it's going to take us two weeks to answer that, but um, fully. So, um, this week we want to look at man's origin and man's nature, and then next week we'll look at the the origin of sin and and as well as the results of sin. All right. So we'll have the study of sin, but it's really a subset of the doctrine of man. All right, so let's begin with the origin of mankind. And as I've mentioned uh, before, particularly last week, man was created by God. And this creation took place on the sixth day and it was instantaneous and immediate. Okay, You understand what I mean by instantaneous? That when God spoke, they came into being. When God formed them with the dust of the ground, they came into being. It was instantaneous. Genesis 2.7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living soul or a living being. And then, of course, uh, Genesis 2.21 talks about the woman being formed. The Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and closed up the place with uh, flesh and the Lord made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. Okay, so, so you understand what I mean by instantaneous. But when I talk about immediate... Immediate has to do with God's direct action apart from any, any other secondary causation or uh, any other intermediate process. Okay, so there is, a, there is a, I guess you could say a hybrid view or a hybrid understanding of how God made things and uh, it's known as theistic evolution. And there are people who believe the Bible uh, I wouldn't say fully believe the Bible, but they believe the Bible in, in places and believe in theistic evolution. Now, you can 
kind of see where where the hybrid is there. The theistic part is that God had a part in it, and the evolution part is that that things evolved over time. So the idea is that God formed this initial uh, be, uh, mass or something, and it evolved over time into what it is now. Um, so, so when I say immediate here, that God's creation was immediate, what I'm talking about is that it didn't have another process in between, between the, God, the time God made it and the time it was complete. Okay, it was immediate, direct, and um, and uh, the, the, there's a there's a problem with this from science, um, because in science there is something that's called the uh, the scientific method. Does anyone have any idea what what are required? What what kind of what is required in order for something to pass the scientific method? Okay, okay. There's two things. It has to be what observable and what repeatable. Exactly. Okay. So so there's a problem here. Okay, because if if God created man, was that observable? By man, is that observable by man today? Okay, God creating. No, is it repeatable by man today? No. Okay, we, we can't see that happening. We can't God see God's direct, immediate creation happening now. So there's a problem when it comes to the scientific method. And again, this is why it's talked about last week. We can never take science and put it on par with the scriptures or put it above the scriptures because the scriptures often will not pass the scientific method that is both uh, observable and repeatable. Now, um, that means that that, um, we have to rely on something else other than the scientific method. What do we have left to rely on? Okay, the scriptures, exactly. God's Word. God has told us what happened at creation and we need to take His Word for it. That this is what happened. It did not happen through evolution. There was not some long period of time. There was not millions of years that happened between the time God created and the time that it was finally finished. There, there, these were literal 24-hour days in which God created. And uh, one following note here. Um, I say here, really, it's no problem because God has told us what has happened. And then final note here. God didn't uh, directly create you and me. Okay, when I say that, I'm talking about the people in this room. God didn't immediately create you and me like He did Adam and Eve. Okay, we were created through the process, of course, of procreation. And, uh, of course, that was designed by God, but it's not a direct act of God. It, it, I mean, obviously, God directly has His hand on it, but you understand what I say. It's not immediate. Uh, it's, it happens through a secondary um, action of, of a male and a female. All right. So the origin of mankind. Any questions on that or, or thoughts? Scientific method. Okay. We we have the scriptures to rely on. They are they are valid. God God wrote them. God spoke to us through them, and uh, and so we can trust them. So God's creation of man was instantaneous and immediate. Secondly, mankind, and we saw this last week, was created in the image of God. Um, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We'll see this again. Um, I think I quoted it last week, but let me just show you. Genesis chapter 1. Would someone read verses 26 and 27 for us? Then God said, Let us make 
All right. So here we see that God created man in His own image, but it's not. It's clarified there at the end of verse 27. It's not just the man who who takes on the image of God. It's both male and female. That is, we are made in God's likeness. Okay. Now this is not referring when we talk about image. We're not referring to physical appearance. Now, why is that? Why can't? Why do we not reflect the physical appearance of God? Because when God created, right? God the Father obviously is spirit, so so He has no physical appearance. Um, there are some who believe that that God actually formed us to be like what Christ would be. Um, so so that's a very legitimate possibility, and I tend to lean that way, but. But primarily, image of God has to do with something else. First, it has to do with his personal, uh, a personal resemblance to God. That is, that we can communicate with God person to person. Okay, and and we'll see what this this is here. And that is that that we share the components of God. Do you know what the components are? Do you remember I talked about them last week? There are three of them. What? How do we resemble God personally? What does it require in order for there to be a person? In other words, animals don't have these three features. I'll give you the first one. You got it, Bill? No. Mind, will, and emotions. Yes. Mind. Oh, I got it on the sheet. Okay. Very good. All right. Mind, will, and emotions. That's it. Um, so, so in other words, God has a mind. He has the ability to have knowledge. He is knowledge. Um, we also have the ability to, to, to grow in knowledge and so on. Animals don't have that. Mind, will, and emotions. Okay, Will, that is that we have the ability to make a choice. Uh, and we also have emotions. We can, um, we, we can be happy. We can be sad. We can, uh, we can cry. We can have joy and so on. All right, so we share the components of personhood. We have a personal resemblance to God. Turn to Acts chapter 2 because I think this is a good passage that shows um, the three aspects of a person. Most, um, most people in the secular world would not disagree with this, this that, that man does have these three personal components. Most people would would agree with you on this, uh, but I just want to show you that these actually we have these three components, these three aspects of personhood because we're resembling God. In fact, even unbelievers have these three because they resemble God in this way. Look at chapter two, verse thirty-seven, and try to pick out these three aspects of personhood: mind, okay, knowledge, will, choice, and emotions, feeling. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Alright, so let's start with the first one. Where do we see in this passage the aspect of the person's mind, knowledge? Okay, good. They heard this. There, There had to be a hearing of the Word. Paul talks about it in this way in Romans 10, that, that no one can have faith without first hearing. Okay? So it has to enter the brain. It has to be an intellectual exercise for them. It has to, it has to um, increase their knowledge. They can't come to saving faith without it. So, so that's the first one. 
All right, let's skip ahead to the emotions. Where do we see that? Exactly. They were pierced to the heart. That this really gripped them. Okay? And so this is what makes up a person. That it, it not only affects the intellect. Sometimes we, we break these things down, but actually we are one component. We are unified. And these things all work together in some way. And then the third one, the, uh, the will or the choice. Okay, good. What shall we do? And then Peter says what? Well, you need, to, you need to be baptized and then you need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, in other words, repentance and faith is required. And, and obviously, the, the baptism is something that follows both of those things. Alright, so mind, will, and emotions. We bear a personal resemblance to God. God made us that way. He did that on purpose. Um, and He only did that for for uh, for us as humans, not as not, he did not do that for animals. Um, all right. So, secondly, we resemble God morally. Okay, we have a moral resemblance to God. And what this is referring to is that that we were created, Adam and Eve were, were created, in moral purity, and they had the ability to discern from right and wrong and and we do as well now as a result of the of the fall all men have been plunged into sin and this image of god is now marred okay but it's not lost the image of god is now marred but it's not lost or or we could say it's effaced but it's not erased turn to romans chapter 13 Romans chapter 13, verse 4, I want to show you that this is following the fall of mankind, obviously. Romans chapter 13, Paul's writing to Roman believers, but he's giving a principle here that transcends believers. That is, it, it's for all humankind. And it is, a, it is a principle that is a timeless principle that really began uh, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. That if you shed man's blood, by man will your blood be shed. Look at chapter 13, verse 4, speaking of the government, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it, the government, does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Um, is that the verse I'm looking for? Um, thought it said something about the image of God there. All right. Well, that wasn't the verse I was looking for. But um, there is a there is a verse. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I'll, I apologize for that. I'll have to look that one up again. Uh, Romans thirteen four. Oh, the one I was looking for says that uh, that that this principle of um, retribution uh, is because there's still an image of God in man, and I think it actually uses the phrase "image of God," um, just not finding it there. So apologize for that. Um, so, so what this tells us is that, that this image of God really continues on beyond the fall. That is, okay, some people might look at it and say, well, God created Adam and Eve in His image, but then once the fall happened, 
then that image of God went away. It's just completely gone. But actually what happened was even in unbelievers, they are still made in the image of God because they bear a personal and they bear a moral resemblance. Now, I could take it to Romans 2, 14 and 15 and show you that, that people still have a conscience. That is, even unbelievers, they know what is right and wrong. In general, they have a, an, a, an understanding of what's right and wrong. Why? Because God has built that into them. That's part of the image of God in them. Mark. Yeah, maybe that's what I was thinking is cross-referencing it back to Genesis 9-6. Yeah, which so Genesis 9-6 has the image of God there that uh, because we were made in the image of God, you cannot kill that person. Okay, It's one thing to kill an animal. Okay, God doesn't prohibit that uh, to kill an animal, but, but to kill a person who is kill someone who is made in the image of God is a real offense. And when I say kill, I should probably say murder because there are different types of killing. Um, but w- to murder a a person who's made in the image of God is is a very serious offense against God, and um, and therefore we will, as Romans nine or thirteen talks about, we will bring uh, retribution upon ourselves. We'll bring wrath upon ourselves from potentially the government that that God has put over us. Thank you, Mark. That was that was I think the one I was looking for. All right, so we bear a, a personal and a moral resemblance. Um, thirdly, mankind was created in unconfirmed holiness. Okay, so let me try to explain what I'm talking about there. When God created, He created everything good. Remember, after each day, He finished and He said, it was good, it was good. And then on the sixth day, He finished and He said, it was very good. Okay, so so God created man in unconfirmed holiness. That is that that He made mankind upright, as Ecclesiastes 7.29 says. But, it says there, men have gone in search of many schemes. In other words, God did not create sin. God did not create sin. He created man, and He created man in a state of unconfirmed holiness. That is, man had a choice. He had the ability not to sin. If Adam and Eve would have passed that test, potentially they would have been confirmed in holiness for the rest of of their existence. Um, and all mankind would have been confirmed in holiness, similar to the angels. Okay, so we have a we have an elect group of angels, where you could say um, a, a holy group of angels, and then we have a, a demonic group of angels. But all of them started out in unconfirmed holiness. Many of them fell. Remember, Satan being the leader of them. And and they confirmed their self in unholiness. And, of course, they didn't have a Savior to die for them, so there's really no hope for them. They're, they're going to be destined for eternity in hell. Uh, but, but then you had these other angels who were confirmed in holiness. And this is what would have happened if Adam and Eve would have obeyed. God said not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if Adam and Eve had obeyed, they would have been confirmed in permanent holiness and would have been like the good angels for all of eternity. But, as we know, they um, they uh, sinned and they moved from a state of uh, having the possibility of not being able to sin to not being able not to sin. In other words, 
they were not able to be sinless. And, and that was a problem because God required sinlessness in order to come into His presence. And uh, obviously we know the how that's going to be resolved in the course of history. But when Adam sinned, he really sinned on our behalf. He is, uh, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, he is our representative. He's our representative head. So when he sinned, uh, he sinned on behalf of us. Now, just to be clear, uh, he did. He did. Uh, his sin did result in our sin. But we can't blame Adam for our own sin, right? Uh, because Romans three twenty three tells us that we each use our own will. That third component of the of the person, we choose to sin. We all have sinned and come short of the glory. We choose to do that, right? So we can't say, well, you know, it's Adam's fault that I'm that I'm sinning. In one sense, it was, but but in another sense, we're responsible for it ourselves. Okay, so does that make sense? The un- state of unconfirmed holiness, uh, God would give them a test and they would fail. And that, then they would be in a state of, of confirmed unholiness and, uh, and have the possibility now, through Jesus Christ, to be moved back to a state of confirmed holiness. Any questions or comments on that? Alright, so you see how we bear a resemblance to God personally, morally, and, and man initially was made in unconfirmed holiness. Bill. Yeah, yeah. What you're what you're talking about has to do more with the nature of man, and we're going to get to that here in just a second. You're talking about the material that you can see versus the immaterial, which we can't see. So, body and then soul and spirit would be the immaterial. So, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. Maybe that'll clear it up. But what I'm talking about is what makes someone a person, and that really. What makes someone a person is not that they have a body. I mean, there are lots of creatures that have bodies. Um, what makes someone a person, it, in, in fact, God is a person, and God doesn't have a body. So that's why I say a person, in order for there to be a person, there needs to be a mind. They have to have the ability for knowledge, the capacity of knowledge, will, choice, and emotions, feeling. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. We'll we'll touch on that uh, body, soul, and spirit here in just a second. In fact, let's move there now. The nature of mankind. The Bible talks about us being fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm one thirty nine, um, and uh, and uh, those of you who know anything about the the body or maybe have uh, been to the doctor a lot, you know how complex the human body is made. That it is a very complex. You can you can uh, relate to Psalm 139 there. It's fearfully and wonderfully made, and yet all with all those distinctive parts, all those things that are are trying to work together that God is working, it, it's still a a unified person. And so, when we talk about the 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 um, the person, the Bible also often refers to the person as a a um, well, in several different ways, but sometimes as a body, sometimes as a soul, a spirit, a heart, um, a mind, or a conscience. 
things like that. And yet, it's, it, it always expresses a human being as a unified or a unity of these different parts, as a whole person. And so, but but we do want to just look briefly at see that there are two, at least two separate parts, and maybe as Bill suggested, there are three. Um, that there's a body, that's the material here that we're talking about, and then there's also the soul and spirit, which are, are the immaterial. Okay, so first, the material aspect. Obviously, we are made up of material things that we can actually, you know, feel and, and see. There are five senses, senses, there's a nervous system and so on. But also, we are made up of, of the immaterial as well. And this is often referred to in the Scripture as the spirit or the soul. And many people would like to um, to distinguish between these two as if they're two separate things. Remember last week we talked about dualism? I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago. Or Plato's idea that there is... There's, we can't really control the material part. Uh, and actually, the material part is evil. So we can indulge in whatever sin that we want to. Uh, really, what's most important is that our immaterial is doing what's right. And, and ultimately, we want to reach a place where we are like God. We are, we are pretty much gods ourselves, and, and that's why we've got to get our immaterial part to, to ascend to that place. Uh, the problem with that thinking is the Scriptures talk about the material and the immaterial as one, that, that those are connected and we need to make sure that they are, are not distinguished fully, uh, that, they, uh, that they relate to one another closely. That there's a union of the two. Notice the material and the immaterial here in Genesis 2-7 on the screen, that God breathed into His nostrils, material, and man became a living being or a living soul. Okay, so you see both the material and the immaterial there. As a unified person, when, when those two things came together, that was when Adam was, was uh, fully created. And so we have the union of the material and immaterial. Of course, at death, you recognize that these are separated, and that's why there's a groaning there even... There's a longing for those who are in the next life that they will receive their body. They will be rejoined with their bodies. And that won't happen until the resurrection. Uh, uh, we talked about that in, in, uh, on Sunday mornings with regard to Revelation. All right, so the material and the immaterial. Now, some people break it up and say that there are three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And um, uh, I tend to see both soul and spirit as just one part that it's just really a synonym for the other that they, that there is an immaterial and then of course the body and the material and those make up the human person. Okay, so that's the nature of mankind. Uh, I mentioned this earlier but I'll say it again mankind's nature is passed on through procreation. Genesis 5:3 says when Adam had lived 130 years he had a son in his own likeness in his own image and he named him Seth. So, one of the ways that, or, or the way that we have the image of God passed down to us is through the process of procreation. Okay, so when you, are, when you were conceived as a result of the union between your mother and father, that brought about both a physical uh, body and also it brought about an a immaterial body. Uh, uh, part of you as well, okay, and that included the image of God, that included the 
the, the fact that you bore a moral and personal resemblance to Him. So that process happens through procreation. And also, it, it, that procreation process also results in uh, you having a sinful nature. All right? So now, when you see it that way, <clears throat> do you see why the virgin birth is so important? Okay? Because through the process of procreation, not only are the physical attributes passed on and the immaterial aspects passed on, but what else is passed on? The sinful nature, right? So if the sinful nature were passed on and Jesus were born as a result of a mother and a father coming together, then, then, uh, then He would have a sinful nature. But see, that, that's not what happened with Christ. He already was a person. In fact, He would have had a split personality because He was a person for eternity past, wasn't He? He was the Son for all of eternity. And and if his if Joseph let's say Joseph and Mary came together and and formed another person through the process of pro- procreation, Jesus would have been two persons. But see, he was already a person, and so all he needed really was the body, and and that's why there was this virgin birth. And uh, and then he didn't have to have the sinful nature passed down through the representative father. See, the sin nature is passed down through the father. Um, representatively, because Adam was the one who sinned. Does that make sense? You see why the virgin birth is, is critical, and that's why we can't deny it. As uh, we'll, we'll get to this more when we get into the doctrine of Christ in a couple of weeks. But, but, but when you have other people, other churches, maybe other denominations, say, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, if we say that Jesus was not born of a virgin, um, it actually is a very big deal. All right? All right. Finally, I want to just touch on the doctrine of sin for a little bit. Um, bring over a little bit about the, in order to understand more about the doc, the man, to look at the nature or, or the fall of mankind, how this happened. Now, when I talk about the fall here, what I'm talking about is as it's related to the human race. What I when when I'm talking today, I don't want you to think that this is the first time that sin ever occurred in the universe, because sin preceded. Uh, Adam and Eve's sin. There was sin before Adam and Eve, right? Had to be. Had to have the Satan and his his followers fall before this took place. So, what I'm talking about is in relationship to the human race, the first sin, the fall of mankind. And what I want to show you is that this is representative of every sin uh, or, or sins in general, even today. And so, when we look at that first um, in fact, turn to Genesis 2 with me. We'll see this. Genesis 2. When we sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, we are striking at the core of what is true. We're striking at the core of knowledge. We're saying, we're making a choice. Is God true or is Satan true? Okay, is my flesh true? Look at chapter 2, verse 17. We'll see what God said was true. Okay, God's command to them is, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Now look at what Satan says in chapter 3, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. 
Okay. Oh, I, I didn't finish chapter 2, verse 17. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Chapter 3, verse 4, you surely will not die. Okay, so what is... Satan is is completely opposed to what God has said is true. And so Adam and Eve have a choice. Will I believe God? Will I believe what He is saying is true? Or will I believe the serpent? And so Eve, of course, decided to doubt the truthfulness of God. And I can tell you that when we sin, we are doubting the truthfulness of God. Okay, God, you have told me to refrain from this type of sin, but I'm telling you that this is... I mean, that's not really going to be as satisfying as you say it is to refrain from it. So I'm going to indulge in it. And I'm going to believe that that, that this pleasure of sin is more satisfying than than obeying you. So there's a succumbing to the... The, uh, the false idea that, that Satan is right. Sin also strikes at um, at the basis for moral standards. Okay, what is right? It gave an answer to the question, what is right? In chapter 2, verse 17, God said what was right. Don't eat from the tree. Okay, I'm telling you what is right. But the serpent said that it would be okay to do that. Why? Because look at verse 5 of chapter 3. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so if you eat from it, Adam's standing right there. Later on, she's going to give the the uh, apple, the, not necessarily apple, the fruit, to her husband who is with her. And so he's standing there the whole time, but he dresses all of his temptation at her, trying to undermine the structure of the family that God had designed, that is, man and then wife. He, he's undermining that structure by going to her and making her the authority. And, uh, and he just sat back and did nothing. But, but, the, but what uh, lies here at the heart of it is that, that he's trying to say, this is what's right. Don't you want to be like God? Isn't that a good thing for you to be like God, knowing good from evil? And, of course, she had to make a choice. And she trusted her own evaluation. Rather than thinking back, God had said this was wrong. I'm not going to do it. Okay, That's going to be the final thing. God said it was wrong. I'm not going to question it. I don't understand all that, why it's wrong, but I'm not going to question it. And, of course, she didn't do that. Now, what I'm saying is that's a representative of the way that we sin as well. That God tells us something that is right. God tells us something that is wrong. That we are to do something or not to do something else. And we are defiantly, we go defiantly against Him because we think we can be the master of our own lives instead of allowing Him to be. Um, and finally, there's... Sin struck at the basis of identity answers the question, who am I? The correct answer to that question is that they were creatures of God dependent on Him and they were always supposed to be subordinate to Him as Creator and Lord, as Sovereign Lord. But as Eve and then Adam would later succumb to the temptation, they wanted to be like God and so they put themselves in the place of God. And that's what we do when we sin. We, we reject the identity 
for which we are made, that we were made to image God, to be like, that we were made to represent Him uh, morally. And instead of um, reflecting His image like He's made us to do, we, we want to take His place. And that's the idea of being like God, not being like God in the image of God. That's not what they were trying to do. They were trying to be like God as if they were God. That they could make all the choices. They could determine what's right and wrong. And uh, and so we, we attempt to put ourselves in the place of God. And so we say, God, You're not Lord. You're not Creator. Um, we'll, we'll take Your place. We know what makes us happy. And so we'll make a choice for ourselves. And when we do that, we, we get ourselves into much danger. So next week, what we want to do is look at um, the doctrine of sin. And it's known in um, if you uh, use theology books or, or study through them at all, you'll see it under homartiology. It's just simply the study of sin. And so we'll look at, um, we'll look at that study. And that will really speak more to who we are as people because we are not very much... It's hard to identify us apart from our own sin. That we are, because of our sinful nature, we are creatures of, of sin and, and God is, is working in us to change us to become more holy, more like the image of God, more like the image of specifically Jesus Christ, His Son. Alright, any questions on the doctrine of man? Fall? Bill? Yes. Yeah. And a couple made it pretty clear that I was stupid. They didn't believe in it. You know, it was like biological impossibility. Right. And, and so I was trying to figure out how to get back at them. I said, well, if you think I'm stupid because I believe in a virgin birth, I'll just flat out tell you that I believe we were created from the dust of the ground. <laughs> and that's Yeah, they didn't disagree with that part, did they? The dust of the ground? They kind of shut up after that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that... That's that's the thing. That's another thing that would not um, that would not pass the scientific method, the virgin birth. So, so again, that's why the scriptures always have to be at the authority, not science. Science can support the scriptures and the truth of it, but it cannot uh, supersede it and um, and take its place. Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Paul? The sad part is evolution doesn't pass scientific Exactly. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, we've had it, what, what for over 100 years now? We've had that theory of uh, of the process of of ongoing change, and, and we, we still haven't reproduced that in a laboratory, and yet, and that can be uh, treated as if it's a scientific fact. Yeah, that's a good point.
Phil. Uh, before I got saved, I used to hear people ridicule God and, and everything, and I didn't really understand what they were doing. But one guy says to me, you believe uh, the chicken comes first to the egg, and before I got a chance to answer him, he was really laughing, you know. And so when he quit laughing, I said, I believe the chicken was first. And that really gave him something to laugh about. And then he says, how could you be so stupid? I said, well, I don't think I'm stupid at all as far as the chicken coming first because God made male and female Right. Yeah, the made uh, Adam and Eve were created adults as adults, so it makes sense that animals. You got some pretty harsh friends. They just come right out. And, <laughs> well, you got to remember, <coughs> the people I worked with, the, the Jews, they didn't believe in God. Yeah. All right. Good. Any anybody else? person with um, some sort of deficiency or maybe they're not made like us ethnically or something like that. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point. In fact, that's a, that's actually a, a good proof. James, I uh, hadn't thought about that, but that's a good proof for the fact that people are made in the image of God, both believers and unbeliever, because of that. I mean, that's really not the primary point of that passage. The primary point is what you said, that we need to treat people... Um, uh, we need to treat people in righteousness because, and the secondary point is, because they're made in the image of God. We, we, because they bear God's likeness in some way, they have a personal moral resemblance. They were made to image God. We can't mistreat them. We can't, obviously, go to the worst extreme and murder them, but, but I think all things leading up to that. Yeah, that's a good point. Good. Anything else? Sue? Okay. And because when we talk about the different races, mm-hmm. he said, well, really, there's only one race because the Adam was created, so there's only the race of Adam. Mm-hmm. The variances are just variances in our bodies, so there's not really race. Yeah. Races, and I never thought about that before. So I want to get the video and, and see it. Cause it was very eye-opening. Yeah. The way that uh, my professor explained it was that. Adam had within him all the genetics of every ethnicity that there is in the world. And um, and so out of the... I mean, just like there weren't, uh, you know, Great Danes and Poodles and, and all sorts of different dogs, there was only one dog that was originally created, but then it had the genetics to produce over time all the different breeds of dogs that we now see today. Same thing with humans. And... Uh, so, if, for example, you took all of the 
the different breeds of dogs and put them into one area and allowed them to reproduce, they would actually come back to the one that had all the genetic code like the original dog. Uh, um, it would take a long time, but but the idea is there it contains all the genetic code. Yeah, so I, I would agree. One human race. So it's not really a fair... Uh, <laughs> not a fair uh, thing when we criticize those of, of different different races because we're, we all are made in the image of God. All right, well, let me pray. We need to get this we need to get to the next service. Lord, thank you that um, you have created us to be like you and we know that we have even though you owned us as our creator, we ran from you and we sought our own sin, but you pursued us and bought us back with the blood of Jesus Christ, and we're grateful that you are now continuing to make us into the image of Christ. Help us to be complicit to your work so that you can um, continue that work all the way until the day of Jesus Christ. We look forward to that day and his, his appearing. We pray that it would come quickly. Help us in the service to follow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.